Hello and welcome to the 108 podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Raquel. And we're the Type 1 Together Girls. We are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please remember Type 1 Together does not give medical advice. We are only sharing from personal experience. And today... We're doing a really fun Q&A episode, basically just going through lots of questions that have been asked over time. A lot of them haven't been answered yet on our Instagram. So we'll try to like just get through a bunch of them. I think this will be really fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun. Also, for those of you who listened to our last episode, clearly we're keeping our intro for now. (laughs) For now, to be determined. We'll figure some stuff out in 2024. All right. Let's just get okay. into it. Okay, um, let's do it. Question one. So someone was asking about like they feel really guilty for their child's diagnosis. Like maybe they feel like it's their fault that they have it. I don't know. Like, yeah. It said the question was basically like, you know, my mom guilt is creeping in even though I know it's not um, like realistic. And I – wait, my gardener's here. Hang on. <laughs> okay sorry everybody <laughs> we we had waited for him to be done um, mowing the backyard before we hit record and then he came by with the leaf leaf blower we love our gardener though rob you're the best if you're listening to this lol <laughs> he would never in a million years um okay so the guilt over just your child having diabetes and being a parent and knowing that it's unrealistic to like feel guilty or not unrealistic just you shouldn't feel guilty there's nothing you can do about it but it's there anyway and I don't know really what it was like for me I think that I don't feel guilty that she has it because I think there's part of me that is a very hyper realistic person Mm -hmm. and I have just accepted from day one that like there is nothing I could have done differently to prevent her from developing type 1 diabetes like none of my actions or choices or anything the things I felt guilty about were so much more like I should have caught this sooner. I feel guilty for when diabetes is hard and I'm already like running low on sleep and patience. And then I explode at her behavior and it's like her behavior is poor because she feels like shit because she has diabetes, you know, like that's when I feel guilty. Um, I had some pretty dark thoughts early in the diagnosis period that I'm not super comfortable getting into, but I'll just leave it at that. I feel guilty for those, but also now that I've healed through therapy and medication, I am very like forgiving of myself because I recognize that it is such unchartered territory and we're all humans doing everything for the first time. So my first time being a parent it's my first time being a freaking human (laughs) like yeah you know it's just I don't know I'm willing to forgive myself and move forward and shed the guilt because I'm showing up 
in a better way every day for my type one child Yeah, by putting work in for myself. Mm -hmm. This is kind of unrelated, but I do have a lot of like pre-guilt for like even wanting to have kids. That sounds so weird, but it's like something Mm. I think about a lot because like you said, there's nothing you could have done to prevent her getting it. Well, if I choose to have kids, which as of now, I really, really want that. Like I am very straight up risking the fact that there's a high chance. I mean, it's not that high, but there are a lot of people who get type one and their parents have it. And so there's that level, like there might be some parents listening that do have it themselves or their husband or significant other has it. And, um, that can be, I don't know, like I think about it, but then I'm like, well, I think it's still worth it to give someone a beautiful life because you can still live a great life with type one. But yeah, yeah, like that feels really heavy and it feels like I, like it feels kind of selfish, I guess. Well, you know, I've talked about this and (laughs) a lot of people hate this, um, but choosing to have children, in my opinion, is inherently selfish because you can't, you can't decide, you can't like give, (laughs) give a person an option to take on life. Like, yeah. Yes, life is super fun and beautiful and like rewarding and you know, amazing and whatever. But it's also very hard. Very hard, yeah. Very you hard. You never know what's going to happen. Exactly. And so many things are out of your control and you know, I don't know, this goes in way into like the deeper meaning of life and you know, what humans believe in everyone believes in something different you know and so that's where I personally just kind of stop myself and go like I wanted children it is a selfish decision in my opinion but I did it anyway (laughs) and now it's my responsibility to give them like the best possible life with what I'm capable of and to provide them with shoes for the rocky road, not carpet the road ahead. You know, I think I've said that before too. Yeah. And hopefully it does help people to hear that I'm so happy to be alive with diabetes, like much rather be here, you know? And so I wouldn't want to take that away from myself or anyone in the future and just knowing how amazing the technology is going to be going forward gives me a lot of peace too and hopefully it does for all of you as well so yeah that's a tricky one but oof it's real (laughs) okay (laughs) so next question which we're asked over and over again so we're going to keep it short flying with type 1 diabetes we've actually gone further into us I think we had a whole travel episode early on so if you haven't listened to that check it out but let's give like rapid fire answers to flying go. Okay. The first thing I'm going to say is flying is only as scary as you make it in your mind. So like prep, just prep, figure out what you need for emergent, not, not like, we'll get into this in a second. Obviously you need all of your extra supplies and blah, blah, blah. But I think the thing that makes flying so scary is like, what if there's an emergency, a blood sugar emergency on the plane? Decide what you need for the emergent situation 
and put it in the bag that is staying on your body at all times. Yeah. And it's, you know, kind of as simple as that, but you go. Well, maybe that like this is oversimplifying, but I look like flying like I look at every other situation in life. Like, okay, you're going to the beach, you're flying, you're going to an amusement park, whatever it is. However you're going to handle an emergency in any other situation is the same on a plane. So, okay, what's worst, worst case scenario? You go super low, you need glucagon. Okay, you have glucagon. Maybe you're just a little bit low. Well, they have so much juice on that plane because they're constantly serving people. So not only do you have your own snacks, but there's also juice there. Okay, your blood sugar is going high. What do you need to do? Well, maybe you need just insulin. Maybe you need a site change. I've done a lot of site changes in the bathroom. Is that harder with kids? Yes, but you can make it work. Um, and then further than that, maybe your pump's not working. Bring a syringe just in case. Like everything, it's it's the same. And I know that kind of just sounds easier said than done, but like it really is the same. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is like there's – don't overthink the packing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like – the the best thing that I ever did was get that bag that has the removable slots. Did you end up getting you got yours, right? I didn't yet, but I want oh, to. Okay. <laughs> um we need to we can share that link in the show notes again. Yeah. So it's a makeup bag and it's structured and there's slots that you can remove and like move around and Basically, just like when we travel, that bag has all of the supplies that we need plus extras Mm -hmm. and for anything, any diabetes situation. And then in the diaper bag that I carry with me at all times is one extra pump, the little cooler bag with our extra insulin and extra insulin pens, you know, just like the, just the stuff you need. I don't know. Yeah. I think the and other then, big concern, sorry, that people no, have is say, like, oh, metal sorry. detectors, <laughs> security, sorry, um, like that whole side of it. And what I'm going to say about that is that there's a lot in the instruction manuals for pumps and Dexcoms about what you should and shouldn't do. That being said, I have done all of it. I've gone through the metal detector. I've gone through the body scanner. I put my pump through the like thing with all the bags, the metal detector. And the x-ray machine, I mean, and it's always been fine. I've surveyed people on my personal Instagram on type one together, like probably 10 times now. And every single time everyone answers differently and everyone says it's fine. So that doesn't mean that this is medical advice or anything that you should be doing. Of course, read the manual, do what you feel comfortable with. But again, just don't, don't think that everything's just going to go to shit if you yeah. uh, do one thing a little bit different for the most part it's fine and again you have backup supplies if you absolutely need them okay one thing I will say is you, you just made me think of it and I don't know why I haven't made this connection before when we travel via like plane I have noticed that the Omnipod 5s more frequently have that screeching where they just like fail Mm -hmm. and then they screech until you smash them (laughs) and I'm wondering if that's actually because I let the the um, diabetes suitcase go through the metal detector with the rest of our stuff so (laughs) what I will say is like if you're worried about it and a way to just like not worry about it is to say, Hey, this is a medical bag. Mm -hmm. And 
be like, it can't go through the x-ray. Can you please check it separately? And they will. And then there's no issue. And uh, with Hattie, we put her through not the body scanner, which they don't let little kids go through it anyway, I don't think. We go through the x-ray. And I've never had a problem with the pumps that she's wearing having a screeching issue after going through the x-ray. But again, if you're worried about it and you don't want to risk it, just say my child's a type one diabetic and they're wearing medical devices. Can you please do the wand instead? And that's it. Yeah. Yay. All right. Next one. Yes. So Um, beach days, this person had asked specifically, they were really nervous about a beach trip coming up. It was their first trip, I think with diabetes and specifically a T slim, but we'll give just some general tips for, um, Omnipod or T slim slash, any tubed pump, Medtronic, the beta bionics pump that people are starting to get. Um, okay, let's have you go first. <laughs> I don't really have a good anything. I mean, I bring all of my backup supplies like I do anytime I leave the house. Um, I am extra intentional about making sure that the backup insulin I have is in a cold pack that has like a cold gel in it. Um I put like a tegaderm adhesive, um, mm-hmm. not adhesive, like a tegaderm overpatch on the pump and Dexcom if she's not already wearing one. For those of you who don't know what that is, it is a very thin medical grade, clear, stretchy plastic overpatch. And it does wonders to keep um, the pumps and the Dexcoms on like literally last night um we had put lotion on Hattie's skin and then she wanted her pump her new pump on the spot that already had lotion on it and I tried to wipe it off but it just it was still too lotiony and so I put the tegaderm adhesive over top and it stuck on perfectly and it'll wow. stay all three days so that's, awesome. that's my biggest beach day tip very nice. We'll link those in the show notes too. Yes. Um, I tend to use either like a skin grip patch or expression med or Dexcom will also send you like free clear patches that I think might be similar to the ones that you use. Have you tried those or no? Yeah, they okay. are very similar, but they're not as good to be honest. Not as good. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So those usually work pretty well for me. And then I mean, I just like I said with the plane, I handle it like any other day. I actually love that I can disconnect my T-slim because I tend to get low when I'm swimming a lot. So if it's a pool or beach day, um, I'll take it off, go in the water, and then I'll make sure that I'm getting out every now and then to reconnect my Dexcom, like make sure the signal connects so I can see what my number is or I'll prick my finger. And then if I need a little insulin, I'll dose a little bit and take my pump back off. Um Wait, when you take your tubing off and then the site for the T-slim is just left on the body, mm-hmm. is it open to so like, getting <laughs> sand and water in it? <laughs> so with the true steel, no, because like there's no opening with the true steel thing um, other than like it's on a separate patch because there's like two pieces of tape. Um but on the auto soft sites, which are similar to a lot of the Medtronic sites. 
there is a complete opening and it does come with each site comes with this little plastic insert that you can put in. That's what that's for. If you're wondering, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know for the longest time so that when you're showering or um, in the ocean, you can use it. But if I'm being honest, I've never used it in my life. And that's kind of like a joke <laughs> online too. Like people say they never use it and I've always been fine, but that's kind of sketchy now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's been okay. So I do that. I guess, yeah, keeping your pump, whether it's like your pump phone for Omnipod or your actual pump in like a, well, for me in a cool shaded spot, that's always yeah. key. Um, but also, and we'll talk more about this later in another question, but like my pump insulin is usually fine. Even if it's really hot outside, it's fine for a few hours. Like I try to keep it somewhat cold, but again, I don't usually... I don't bring an actual cold pack with me to the actual beach unless it's going to be like a full, like long, long, long beach day. Um, and just be aware of lows, like make sure you have a lot of low snacks. And it's really important to know that it's hard to feel your lows when you're in water, like very, very hard to feel them. So if your child does know what it feels like and they usually tell you, sometimes I can't even feel my lows and I'm very sensitive to them. So make sure they're getting out every now and then and snacking and having a lot of like protein and fat fiber with everything one thing i will say is with the omnipod if you have a child who's just like you know willing to stay in the sun and make sandcastles for hours on end (laughs) or if you go to a really hot and humid place like florida in the summer which is what we do yeah um with my husband's side of the family every year just be aware that if you suddenly start noticing some insulin resistance or spikes after meals, um, you know, a one-off isn't a big deal, but if it's more consistent in the next like four or five meals, it's very likely that the insulin did get a little bit too hot and isn't as potent as it was before. We've dealt with that a lot. Um, and I, yeah, that's interesting having an omnipod just like out on your body. I yeah. haven't thought about how that's exposed to sun maybe more than my T-Slim in my pocket. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, especially because it's like up against your warm skin. And if you're a kid, you're doing like the hot dog roll in the sand <laughs> thing, you know, and my husband and I take the approach of letting her be a kid first and worrying about pump changes later. and if someone had said that to me early on when pump changes were incredibly challenging, I would have been like, no, I can't change it early. But over time and just like being in situations where you're forced to change them early, your child does get used to them um, more and more and more. And so now it's really like, all right, well, you're going to have a lot of fun and you're probably going to get some sand in that pump. And we're just going to have to change it. (laughs) Yes. That's actually another big tip with T-Slim is that it has this little like flap that goes over the charging port and that can get sand in it. So be careful about that. Keep it closed. Sometimes it will fall off. Tandem will send you a new one for free. You just have to let them know. Um, But that's been a problem in the past where I've gotten a bunch of sand in it and it's really hard to get out. Um, But back to the heat thing. Yes, insulin can go bad, but also heat can cause insulin resistance on its own. So just be aware of that because you might be like, oh, I just changed this. Why is it still happening? Like it could just be being in the sun a lot. And then a lot of times I'll experience a big crash when I'm like 
inside at the end of the day after being in the sun all day. So blood sugars yeah. can just be a little wild when you're yeah. in the heat and all that stuff. Okay. okay. Next one is real life nutrition. What are your meals like for your kids? Okay. I'm really going to expose myself here, but um, hopefully make a lot of you feel less alone. I try with every single meal to present the safe food that she wants, which is almost always buttered pasta (laughs) and a vegetable and a fruit. And she typically only eats the fruit and the pasta. That is very, very average she also only wants buttered toast in the morning usually um so the way I get around that is I make smoothies a lot Mm. and I used to be really scared of dosing for smoothies but ever since getting on the pump it's less scary I just kind of like take into account the total amount of carbs I'm putting into the smoothie and then Um, I pretty much give her half of whatever I've made because I don't make giant batches of smoothies. Uh, and then I just like dose little by little as she's drinking it. Um, but in every single smoothie I make, she gets frozen spinach in it and or avocado. And so that is where like some of the vegetables come in and the, um, you know, like fats and fiber. Do you ever put chia seeds? Um, Yeah. She's not the biggest fan of the crunch. Yeah. It makes such a Um, difference with like avoiding spikes for me, but I agree sometimes the the texture is not great. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's hard. She, she was not picky for the longest time. Like we totally are the family that, you know, followed all of the feed your little rules of like, expose them to vegetables first and maybe lead weaning and just like everything um and it I don't know I don't know if it's just like her eager for a sense of control or if she really is just a typical picky toddler but um I've kind of relented slightly it still gets to me especially when I like spend time trying to make a meal fun or unique or exciting and she sits down and is like ew and then complains that she's like starving I'm just like oh my god I'm gonna rip my hair out um but I will say that if she was on MDI and this was our life I would go absolutely insane like need to be hospitalized from insanity (laughs) it's just so (laughs) frustrating I'm not yeah. It sounds Sorry, like an exaggeration funny. and I'm so serious. Like feeding little kids is so challenging. So um yeah. Honestly, my friend, we have a lot of chicken nuggets and buttered toast. So and buttered pasta. And it's just I figured out how to maintain her sugars around 85 ish percent in range sometimes higher I do notice when we have that one-off day where she will eat the avocado and the cucumber and then the berries and then some salmon and then a half cup of pasta like 
those days our sugars are flat and beautiful. And if that's what you can do for your kids, that's amazing. Go for it. But if you're stuck at a point of picky eating, just push through it is all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's just for a season. Um, all right. Next one is quick. Are we switching to G7, the Dexcom G7, or staying on the G6 for a while? You go. Um, I have a bunch of G6 sensors somehow, so I'm definitely going through those. I'm also going through a weird insurance time right now trying to figure that out, and I don't even have an endo. Like I can't see my old one. I'm supposed to see a new one in January. I don't know what's going to happen, so I don't even have a prescription for the G6 – or sorry, G7. Um, I'm excited about it, but I'm also – fine with the g6 they were great for me so i'm not in a huge huge rush i will be switching hattie to g7 as soon as it integrates with um the omnipod 5 and i will be doing that by basically just demanding with her endo so if it works out if the timing works out where we're seeing her endo um i will you know be like, okay, write the order, please. And if not, I will use our little like messaging service for our online health portal mm-hmm. um, until until they write it. Because I think for kids, um, obviously the top priority is to have as accurate of blood sugars as possible so that you're not over or under whatever dosing. But um I think the next most important thing is a small a footprint on their little bodies as possible. Yeah, I am so. excited for that. Um, a lot of people were saying online that the G7 wasn't great and like it's having all these connection issues, whatever. So we did some polls about that a couple of weeks ago. And quite a few people were also saying that it's amazing and it works so much better. And they don't really have connection issues like I think it is getting better. I think Dexcom's aware of the issue. I think they're making changes or they will be soon if they haven't already. But I think that's just a reminder that every device out there works so differently on different bodies. Like I have friends that have switched to the Libre because it works so much better than Dexcom. But for me, the Dexcom is very accurate. So I don't know. I'm excited about it. And with the T-Slim, at least, even if you upgrade your pump, which is a free upgrade, I believe, like if you're just plugging it in and doing the update. Um you can still use G6 even once you've done that. So if you try the G7, it doesn't work for you and you go back to the G6, cool. But I'm pretty sure eventually they're going to be phasing out the G6 altogether. So yeah, yeah, that'll happen. I'm pretty sure they already had like a new generation of G7s come out that are a lot more, um, I don't know, like they got rid of a lot of the issues. So that's very likely uh, when we polled people and they said it was great, it's very likely that they are getting like the newer boxes. So exciting. Um, the other thing is 30 minute warm up is a big, yes. big, big deal for kids. It's a big deal, especially for those of us with kids who don't verbalize how they're feeling. Uh, I was with Hattie. I remember that was the day I was watching her while her <laughs> text call was warming up yeah. for two hours. And I was like, Oh, gotta, gotta ask her for a finger prick. But even for me yesterday, I changed mine. And of course in the middle of my warm up, I was like, 235. And it, it definitely yeah. wouldn't have happened if I had it on. It always yeah. goes high. So, yeah. Right. Um, tips for pod changes. Young T1D hates them and wants to go back to shots. Okay. 
First thing I'll say before I actually get into the tips is this is so hard. So, so, so hard. Um, But I think that allowing your child to make decisions uh, for their own diabetes is top priority. So I wonder if there's a way to slowly transition your child onto the pump and kind of like go back and forth, which is not, not fun, but reminding yourself, this is just a season. I'm letting my child have some of the control here by saying, yes, we'll go back to shots, but then I'm also going to encourage and say, maybe we try a pump once a month. Here's a calendar. Can you pick a day? We'll try it. We'll put it on for three days. And if you want to go back to shots after the three days, we'll go back and just little by little, um, hopefully like transitioning them to the pump. But yes, I understand that pump changes are very hard for young children, for anyone for sure, but um, young children who have exceptionally painful changes. So what we do that works for us is uh, we don't use the Unisolve, that orange um, adhesive remover because that makes her skin more itchy and it breaks her skin out into like not hives, but something like that. And uh, we found a different medical grade adhesive remover that's a blue liquid. It comes in a big bottle for like $20. We'll link that in the show notes too. And uh, what we do is we change her pump around bath and bedtime. So I'll say, okay, before you get in the bath, I'm going to spray the blue stuff is what we call it. The blue stuff on your pump and let you get into the bath. And then halfway through the bath, I'll say, can you take your own pump off? Because that adhesive remover is so good at just like naturally lifting the adhesive. So she'll find a little pocket where the adhesive is already starting to come off her skin and she'll just like take it right off and she'll go, that didn't hurt. And she smiles and hands it over to me. And then I can also use that time to gently um, kind of rub that area underwater and, you know, clean off the skin that way. So it's not feeling cold. She's in warm water. We're using gentle soap, all these things. And then when we get out, some people use lidocaine, um, like a thin layer of lidocaine, you know, on the site you're going to use, and then you wipe it off and clean the area with alcohol and then put it on. We have tried that once. Her skin is so sensitive. And so that area that I put the lidocaine on was bright red and then it went white and it was weirdly blanching for over 24 hours and it freaked me out and it didn't actually stop the pain for us during that side change. So try it. Why not? If you're desperate, try it. A lot of people have great success, but if it doesn't work out for you, you're not alone. So then what I'll do is um, she gets to pick her site unless she picks a site that really does need a break. 
then it's like, I'm sorry, that side's a no. A way to get around that is if you know legs are a no for a month, say legs still need a break, belly or arm, belly or arm, belly or arm. Give give choices, like to sim- simplify choices. And then she, I put it on her and she hugs me and I hug her and I cover the pump with my hand to muffle the sound of the clicking. And I pinch up gently the skin around so that we know it's going into fat. And I sing her a song or wiggle her around or kind of like gently shake. Like if it's her arm and I have my whole hand around the pump and on her arm, I'll gently shake it so that it feels like a little bit of like moving or buzzing, you know, as the needle goes in. And we just did this last night and it doesn't work every time, but a lot of times it does work. She goes, Ooh, didn't hurt after that. The other thing that we do is give her the option. If the timing works out to do it after she's fallen asleep, that's a new video that will be going up in honey health today. Um, And she always wakes up and she always cries out. But the morning after she says, oh, I love doing it when I'm asleep. I don't remember or it was silly or whatever. So I don't know. That's another one. Yeah, those are really, really good. I used to have so much trouble with sight changes. I've never had Omnipod, but it was like a crying, running away situation for many, many years. And then when I got old enough to do it myself, which I think I was still pretty young, like my mom's told me that I just wanted to be in a room by myself without anyone and no noise, no distractions, and I would do it on my own. And I do wonder if that's something that not at Hattie's age, but when they're a little older with an Omnipod is more doable because you don't actually have to put a needle in like I did. Like, well, you do, yeah. but you just click the button and it does it for you. Yeah. Um, so that was really helpful. And then a lot of kids that I babysat like have had some sort of um, like marble jar or something where they'll put in another marble every time they complete a site change. And at the end, when it's all full, they'll get um, they get to choose something fun. Like this one girl I was watching, like wanted to dye her hair blue or like something silly, like not cute. Yeah. Not like a food related treat, but something exciting that they get to choose. And I I think that's really helpful to give them like something fun at the end of the tunnel because <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, that's a great idea. I might start using that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, oh, I like this one. What's your favorite I've got diabetes so I can bend the rules moment? Or my child has diabetes so we can bend the rules. <laughs> I want to hear yours, Raquel. Ooh. Well, growing up, it was for sure getting out of PE and stuff. Like I definitely would lie sometimes. I didn't have a Dexcom. They didn't know what I was. And I would just be like, <laughs> I'm low. I can't play flag football or whatever we were doing that I hated. Um, <laughs> now, oh man, that's hard. I think, uh, yeah, just like when I want to, I guess, bring food in somewhere, that's probably the best. Like I can literally bring snacks into any sporting event or any place yeah. that they wouldn't allow it. Um, and then there's, of course, like the National Park Pass. I love that. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the podcast, but anyone with type one can get a free National Park Pass for life and it brings in your whole entire car to any park. That's so awesome. cool. Um, that's not really bending the rules, but I guess it is. So anyways, what about you? We don't 
have a ton of moments like that. The one that sticks out the most is early on when it was my first time taking both kids out, the baby and my two-year-old with type one, um, by myself after diagnosis, we took her to the children's museum and she had a really bad blow, like scary. Mm. And, uh, I was opening like applesauce after applesauce and giving it to her and a worker came up and was like, excuse me, there's no food in this section. You shouldn't be eating. And I was like, she's a type one diabetic and she is so low. I'm getting her food right now. And they're just like, well, for next time. And I was just like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, So same thing. Having the ability to have food is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And it was more so like I was in such a mama bear mode that if that worker continued to put up a fight, like I am not this kind of person at all, but I totally would have been like, I am doing this. You cannot physically stop me from doing this you know, and there's something about that kind of power. The other thing that is sort of fun, um, I don't abuse it at all, but at her preschool, I have access to like the back way through where like the teachers like have their break room and stuff and into the front office. And I've been given permission. I think I'm one of the only parents who has access to just like come and go through that area as I please because all of her extra extra supplies that aren't in her actual classroom are back there yeah Um, yeah. Uh, I'm so curious to hear Hattie's response to that like when she's like in a couple years I feel like she'll have something Um, oh yeah like I got a phone before all my friends that was really cool yes (laughs) at the time and now with Dexcom I feel like so many younger kids have phones so oh yeah which is not the best, but, you know, we got to do what we got to do. <laughs> um, okay, where in the fridge do you think is the best spot to store insulin? The butter compartment. I just have it in a random drawer. I don't think it matters unless it's getting too cold. Like, your insulin can freeze, which will ruin it. So that's the only time it's a problem. But I was talking to Anna about this. She's one of our diabetes educators that works with us. And she was saying, like, people think that insulin is much more sensitive than it really is. Like it's not going to overheat as easily as you think. Like things aren't going to happen to it as fast. Whenever I start using a bottle of insulin, I take it out of the fridge and I leave it out until I use the whole thing. Like I don't put it back in the fridge. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like there's just little things like that. Even when you're out and about or like traveling, like I said earlier, you don't necessarily need to worry about it overheating too fast. It will happen sometimes, but I don't know. I think it's just like an over like worried about thing that maybe isn't as big of a deal but yeah I just put it in a random drawer yeah yeah cool um do type one nannies get paid more because it's a more involved role generally speaking yes um they should (laughs) they absolutely should and yeah I always feel weird like charging families what I should be charging, I guess, because it's like, well, they already have to pay for so much more diabetes. Like it's not their fault. Their child has diabetes, but it is a lot more work and it's a lot more responsibility, especially like I've stayed overnight with a lot of families now and I will charge a good amount for that overnight time because I am waking up multiple times and it ends up 
kind of ruining my next two days because I'm just so off of my schedule. Um, even when parents are like, you don't need to wake up. It's like, well, I'm responsible responsible for your child's life right now. So I'm going to be extra careful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I honestly charge $30 an hour right now. I know it sounds high depending on where you are, but in LA, it's very normal. But I also have had a lot of experience and don't really babysit anymore. So when I do, I'm like, well, it's got to be worth it. Um, But it also depends how many kids there are and how young they are and just all kinds of things. But I've done so many site changes with kids and dealt with difficult situations and things that are solely because of diabetes. So um, I would say yes. Yes. It's a highly specialized role. Like think about how much your life changed as a parent and how much stress you have and how many like things you have to do and how much you have to think about. Um, And then to ask someone else to come in and care that amount about your child's life and not only keep them safe, but keep them alive, keep Mm -hmm. them healthy. Um, As a parent, like this is unrealistic and I don't actually expect this, but like there's definitely a part of me that's like, whew, a type one has my kid, like her sugars are going to be great, you know? And that's an unfair, unrealistic expectation that just kind of like lives in the back of your head anyway. Um, and so, yes, if you are thinking about just, you know, paying a type one sitter the regular rate, like think again, I literally quit my nursing job because my entire paycheck, once we calculated it out, was going to end up going to highly specialized high quality childcare for two children, one of them being a type one diabetic. Yeah. I would say the average ish rate right now that is fair would probably be anywhere from like 25 to 30. So like if you have a younger sitter who's newer and all of that, then I think 25 is still great, but definitely not like the $15 an hour kind of thing. Um, And this also makes me think maybe I'll do a babysitting specific episode with one of my friends who also babysits a lot for type ones because there are a lot of things that go into it that I think parents don't think about, especially if you're babysitting for multiple families. Like everyone wants to manage it so differently and they want the sitter to communicate with the parents differently. Like it's a lot of just figuring out the dynamic. And I don't know. I think it'd be interesting yeah. to talk more about. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. When you are having a lot of lows, do you adjust long-acting or short-acting insulin first? Okay, so I've done um, a So like series. basal or bolus, sorry. Yeah. I should like clarify that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've done a, a series on honey health where I basically point out with made-up graphs um, a very simplified way to understand like what needs adjusting first. And it's very challenging to figure out if your basal slash long acting is what's contributing to your lows um, versus your mealtime insulin. But what I'll say here is if you are starting a meal at 150 and you've counted your carbs 
and like you've done the pre-bolus and you know that the carb ratio is exactly where it needs to be, whatever, and your child eats all of the carbs and they're not super active after. And it like, like you have a low after two, three, and four hours, that is pretty likely your basal or your long acting that is too strong because mealtime insulin should be mostly out of your child's system by hour three-ish. So if by hour four post-meal, you're seeing your child's blood sugar get dragged further and further down, like that's a huge difference to go from 150 at a start of a meal. And then four hours later, you're in the fifties. Like that's a lot of change. So, um, that's one way. And then the other way is middle of the night lows. That's more often than not your basal or your long acting that needs adjusting. It's too strong because it is supposed to keep your blood sugar just nice and steady right where it needs to be. And if your blood sugar, your child's blood sugar is randomly getting pulled down at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., it's too strong. Yep. Does that? She said. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) No, just that people should go watch those videos because Amanda made really amazing videos. They're pretty early on in our time on the Honey Health app. So you need to go into our content hub and like scroll down, 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 and you'll see multiple in a row that are like ICR information. Yeah, made easy. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. And they're really good. It's a free group. So go join if you haven't already. We'll also put the link to that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I think you explained it well so we can keep moving forward. Okay. Um, do, you calculate insulin? do you calculate Sorry. insulin for a high fat high protein meal that doesn't have many carbs. Yes. I do because, um, so, well, everything with diabetes is so hyper dependent on the situation and context clues. Yeah. If we're going into a meal and she has a blood sugar of 72 and she's eating five grams worth of carbs and then she's eating like a bunch of chicken and an avocado. No, I'm I'm not gonna dose for that. Um, she will spike slightly after that meal. I spikes the wrong word. She'll her blood sugar will go higher than the 70s. She'll probably get to the 90s or 100s or even 110s. Um, but then it more than likely if her basal is accurate or if her long acting is accurate, she'll just stay nice and flat until the next time she eats at that number. But if we are at a higher blood sugar number and she's going to be eating a lot of fat, a lot of protein, a few carbs, and especially if she's not going to be exercising, like if this is a dinner time, she's going to be falling asleep or if we're having a mellow day, she's going to sit on the couch and watch a movie, then yes, she needs some insulin. Um, So 
I don't I don't have a way that I calculate it really. Like, Me either. Yeah. yeah. I don't really have anything to share on that because I don't like I I do sometimes I feel like account for it if I'm eating certain things, but it kind of depends, like you said, with what my blood sugar is at the moment. And I just am always trying to bring it down. So like if I'm even 165 and I'm starting to eat, like my pump will be automatically giving insulin to bring it down, but then I'll also go in and like see if it recommends that I give myself a bolus for that blood sugar. That's not for the food, but like if I'm eating, I'm more aware of what my blood sugar is in that moment and trying to bring that down regardless, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. An example of it would be this morning. She was not super hungry and her blood sugar was 75 and we're going to have like something before Danny took them to the grocery store. And she had a circle cheese, which is just protein and fat. And we did not dose. Her current blood sugar is 115. So she went, Yeah. what is that? 25 plus 15, 35, 40. It's yeah. a 40 point jump just from circle cheese. And like, that's fine. I That's a beautiful blood sugar number. I don't need to worry about it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you are starting at 200 and the endocrinologists tell you oh you only need to dose if it's if it's for carbs and then you give your kid a freaking circle cheese and then you're like why is my kid 250 what the f is happening like that's what they don't tell you the other component to this is timing like what time it is of the day so like breakfast for me I would 100% need more so even when I have eggs only for breakfast I'm gonna need insulin if I ate that later in the day I might not Yesterday, like I got up at 105, I think I was, and then like 30 minutes later, I was like 192 slight arrow up without doing anything. So like I usually have a yeah. slight spike, but it really hit hard yesterday. And I think I think my body's like going through some stuff. I took a really intense workout class the other day, like a hot yoga class that was also like a sculpt class, and there's a lot happening. And ever since my blood sugars have just been a little all over the place I think it like shocked my system but it was just a reminder of like oh your blood sugar can just do really out of nowhere things sometimes so but regardless in the morning I'm always more insulin resistant and I have a natural spike so if you know that about your child then that might change what you dose for in the morning yeah or any time today okay uh, is it bad to calibrate your Dexcom G6 during the first 24 hours? <laughs> okay. So this question, I feel like everyone has different answers to, and it's like changed over time when you talk to the people at Dexcom and it might be different for the G7. So I don't really know, but generally I do know that it's bad to calibrate a lot. If you're having to calibrate a ton and it's not understanding, then something's probably just wrong with the sensor or you do need to give it some time to just figure it out on its own. So I try to check my blood sugar like with a finger prick like around the 24-hour mark so that I can see if it is accurate. Um, and I if I notice it's way off beforehand, I will just calibrate it. Cause I'm not I don't want to just like let it sit 50 points off if I already caught it. But yeah. I do go by the rules, which I was told by Dexcom a long time ago, 
a lot of people have said this is not true anymore, but it works for me of only calibrating when you're in range and steady. So not when you're like double arrows up or even slight arrow down um, because it's in a rate of change at that moment. And so it's going to confuse it if you're like calibrating and it's changing and it might not catch up as well. So I wait until I'm in range. So usually in the 100 range and steady. So, um, yeah, we have a very different experience and I think so much of this is lived experience. And so when we were first diagnosed, I would notice just behavior was off. So this is what's so challenging about like Dexcom or Libra even and having young kids. It's like you as a parent rely on that number to be accurate. And so I early on would notice that her behavior was so different from what the number was reflecting. And then I would do a finger poke, which we avoided at all costs for the most part, because it was so terrible for her. And it would be like, I don't know, 60 points off or whatever. And I would calibrate it. And then I would call the clinic, tell them what was going on and that I calibrated it. And then I'd get scolded for calibrating it because it wasn't you know, greater than 60% out of Hmm. like off or whatever. And then I got scared of calibrating. And then eventually I just got to this point where I was like, I'm just going to calibrate because I am not going, especially once we got on the Omnipod, because I am not going to let the pump think that it needs to be giving insulin when she's at 300 when her finger poke is actually 220. Mm -hmm. We are going to see a low and we're going into bedtime and I'm not going to get the low alarm. She could be at 40, you know? And so typically what we do, this is not medical advice, but what works for our family is when the number comes on, we almost always do a finger prick just to see. Because now that we're two years in, she could care less about finger pricks. Um, And we calibrate if it's more than like 30 points off. We just do it. In the 10 days, do you think you calibrate total? Once. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I usually don't ever do it more than once. Like, I don't need to. If If I have a lot of compression lows, like if it's in a bad location, then I find like more issues coming up. But otherwise, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, then that works. It works for us. And we always do it, you know, within the first 24 hours, but it's typically, honestly, that we calibrate within the first three hours. Yeah. And then we will randomly on occasion check a finger prick and it's almost always accurate the next 10 days. So that's amazing. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. And I think even when I was watching Hattie, when it came on, I did a prick and it makes sense because it's like you want to make sure that it's like I can feel my numbers. So I generally know, but yeah, I actually think yesterday I might have calibrated and it was in the first 24 hours. So I'm contradicting myself. But <laughs> yeah, overall, like I like that we both don't ca- have to calibrate like 15 times in 10 days. And I think, well, sign. my whole thing is I really think that part of it is when we've tried the thing where we just let it be and mm-hmm. we let it work. And those Dexcoms are always the ones that are more off for us. I don't know what it is, you know, it's just, yeah, everyone has different lived experiences. Yes. 
Um, how often do you change carb ratios and how many different ratios do you have? <laughs> do you want me to take this? Uh, I mean, I can't remember the last time I changed my carb ratio, but that's because I'm not great at counting carbs. Um, I change my basal rates a good amount or I'll change between – I have three different profile settings. So that's the biggest things I do is I like switch from – I have like a low, a normal, and a high. So whenever I'm running lower or higher, like when I was sick, for example, I changed the profile. Um, and so those have different ratios within them. But but I think that's just because I'm at my age where I've done this a while now where like when I was younger, every time we went to the doctor, we would change something. But my doctors never change anything now. Yeah. Um, I change carb ratios on average once a month. We have growing children. Their needs drastically change. Their needs change when the weather changes. Their needs change when altitude changes, when stressors change, like when eating habits change, when illness, whatever. And so perfect example, two weeks ago, she was having a lot, a lot of lows. I adjusted her car ratios. I do it on my own. Um, I, yeah, I got to that point pretty, pretty early on when honestly it was when the car ratio adjustments that, uh, the team was suggesting was not yielding results at all. And they would tell me to wait for a week. And I was just like, no, I'm not waiting for a week. And then I started changing them and then they would yield results the next day. And I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Um, Again, that's not medical advice. But yeah, I changed her ratios uh, about two weeks ago and then they worked for one day. And then the next day I saw highs after every single meal. We were constantly giving our own uh, boluses for high blood sugar And after about four days of that, I was like, okay, I'm going back or just adjusting again. And my adjustments, because she's still little, an adjustment from, let's say, breakfast is 1 to 11. I adjusted her breakfast 1 to 13. That's a tiny adjustment for an adult. That made a huge difference. We suddenly were seeing spikes to the 250s instead of spikes to the 160s. And... uh, you know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I change them a lot. <laughs> and oh, how many different do we have? We have one for the morning, one for lunchtime, one for dinner time, and one for an evening snack because uh, she needs a lot more insulin in the evening than any other time of day. And she does not always have snack in the evening, but on the off chance she does eat something after 7 p.m. She needs so much more insulin than she would just at dinner time at 5 p.m. Yeah, I was literally looking at mine right now. I'm curious. Well, it's also so helpful to have these like control IQ or auto mode systems because yep. they will kind of give you a little bit of a buffer, but as much as sometimes is needed. I will say okay. the auto mode doesn't give you a buffer when you're going high, though. You have to be in control when yeah. sugars are going high. But it will give something, right? Or no? It gives a little something, but it will right. cap out at some point. At some point, yeah. All right. Um, my daughter just started using Omnipod, but is scared to put it on her stomach. How do I get 
her more comfortable with rotating. So um, we talked about this briefly before we hopped on and I was kind of like, I was always using stomach sides when I was younger. And my number one fear of going to the endos was that they were going to tell me to switch my side around. And I still like didn't do that for a while. I started using my hips eventually, but like I just was very not open to other areas. And my family, sorry, my family didn't push it too hard. Like they kind of just let me do that for a while. And then one day there was like a switch in my head and I was like, it's not that scary to try other spots. And I did. So I don't know. Like my mom definitely tried. Like she would ask me to try other spots, but ultimately it was just most important that I had my pump on and that I was changing the side at all. So I really appreciate that looking back. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I ask my daughter also hates her stomach sights, and I think it's because they hurt her the most. Like her her stomach is just the most sensitive on her body. Um and I don't push it. I offer it almost every time. Do you want to try your belly? Do you want to try your belly? Whenever she opts for the doing a pump change after she's fallen asleep, I always do her belly and she'll be freaking mad at me. And I'm like, honey, you're wearing long sleeve pajamas and long pants. If I'm going to do it while you're sleeping, I have to do your belly. And so then it's like, so belly while you're sleeping or a different sight while you're awake. And she'll Mm -hmm. sometimes be like, I still want to sleep, whatever, do my belly. Um, Recently, she had like a small site infection on her, her arm. Her other arm had her Dexcom on it. Her legs have a lot of scar buildup and her back sites also just needed a break. And so I was like, the only option is your belly. And yeah. she was crying and really sad. But like I had just made a decision in that moment that she needed to her every other site desperately needed a break. Um, and I didn't budge. And that's the only time in two years I've ever done that. Not budged. And uh, yeah. And then I said, we're just going to do it once. And then we can take another long break from your belly. But your arms need a break. Your legs need a break. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess another underrated tip that didn't work for me when I was younger, but it's worked for other kids I've been around is having a type one babysitter over who has a different site or who will show them how to change their site in that location. I cannot tell tell you how many families have come to me after I babysat and said they've never done an arm Dexcom and then they saw yours or they did it with you and now they're totally fine with it, not crying. And so doing that or just having like a diabetic play date with someone else their age could also help. But there's also something to having like a cool older teen or something even if you're not gonna have the babysitter stay with your child alone like you could just have them over for like a meal and show them (laughs) pump sites and stuff like that can be really meaningful so um or on the type any other instagram we try to like repost other people's content a lot too so that we can showcase kids that are using different sites and just like inspiring others Okay, last one. Um, someone asked if there was any chance I was going to do a T Slim masterclass because we've been doing or we did one auto mode masterclass a few months ago. So, um, yes, we are going to be doing another auto mode class, and I'm going to be doing a T Slim masterclass with Andrew, who also was on the T Slim. He did a podcast episode with us a while ago. Um, and actually, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out. It's still on sale, I think, today and tomorrow. Yep. So make sure that you sign up before it's too late. Um, 
both of them registration is open now however they're on two totally separate dates and when you join the master class you come to the live class and you also get a bunch of resources after including the recording so you can always refer back to it yep um we're really excited about it 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 did super well uh the last time we did the omnipod 5 auto mode master class we just break down all the nitty-gritty things that um don't make sense or maybe people have not gone through them with you and we make them make sense um we've had a lot of great reviews a lot of people saying they saw great improvement um some cdcs's saying they were contacting their own patients to make adjustments (laughs) that was so cool um so yeah if you're listening on january 2nd it is still on sale uh today the second and tomorrow the third and then goes back to regular pricing so um, we're hoping to host these fairly frequently, maybe every every quarter or so. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Right. Okay. This was such a fun episode. Let's do a bunch of roll call. Yeah. I am 145. Woohoo. Hattie's 91. Yay. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope everyone had a happy new year at this point. It's already 2024, which is wild. But let's go. Let's go. All right. We will talk to everyone (laughs) soon. Thanks for rating, reviewing, and subscribing as always and sharing the podcast with a friend. We really appreciate it. And talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye.